Well, good morning. God loves you. Is that not incredible? Just a great reminder of what we just went through right there is being reminded of how much God loves you. I mean, the fact of the matter is he knows everything that you thought this week. Kind of scary. He knows everything that you did in secret. He knows everything that you looked at, that you thought about looking at, everything that you said. Uh, One of the passages that Todd said is that God's thoughts towards us are for good. And I never heard it said that way. That, you know, so often we, we might say something good about somebody, you know, like, hey, you know, I like them. And then in our head, it's like, oh my gosh, I just, I'm ready to be out of these people's like face, get away from them. I'm ready to be gone. And yet that's not what God thinks about us. He says, I love them. I love you. I want to be with you. And that's what we're seeing as we continue in our study of Hebrews as we see that Jesus is better. And so before we go any further, if you'll just join me in a word of prayer that God goes before us in this message. So Father God, we just come before you and I just want to say thank you for that love that by all means we are so undeserving and so unworthy of it. And yet, as we are told in Ephesians, you lavish it upon us. And God, we just want to say thank you. We just want to pray that as we get ready to just open up your word and just be in what you have to say to us, that God, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we just see that he is far better than anything that we can hold, that he is far better than anything this world has to give to us, and that therefore we can just come before you. God, we pray that you speak to us in this time, open our hearts to receive what you have to say And then, God, may we be transformed and be molded by it to become what you're calling us to be. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So a little heads up for everybody. Christmas is around the corner. Some people already jumping the gun and putting Christmas lights up. Shame on you. If your tree is already up, Ro, I know it never comes down. Shame on you, though. Like... I can't really shame you. You're free. Do whatever you want. But it's like we have not even crossed Thanksgiving yet. Come on, people. Let's not rush the holidays. But as many of you are about to find out that um, you are going to be receiving gifts and you are going to be giving gifts. And through that, online retail has become a very big thing. I mean, it's just exploded. And through that you're going to get the joy of returning things online. And I hate to return things online. Like passionately. Like I bought, um, I have a nice creepy old Ford Focus that I bought for really cheap and I put a new radio in it and I bought all the things for it online. They came in, I started to install it, realized I have bought the entirely wrong setup for it. And it was like I could try and return it. Or I could throw it in the trash. And I opted for not dealing with anybody. It was like, I'm just going to throw it in the trash. I don't want to deal with that hassle. It was not a crazy amount of money. And I, I mean, just this is how much, this is why I hate dealing with returns. 
We bought some new pots and pans. We were going to have to return them. We went through PayPal. And so I was going to try and like file a claim that I want to return the pots and pans, get on paypal.com. It says, you can call us. And so it's like, sweet, I get to talk to a person. So I call it and suddenly everything is automated. I'm dealing with this robot that is like, if you want English, say one. If you want Spanish, say two. So I say one. And then it's like, if you want to file this claim, say one. And I keep saying things and then they end up telling me, after like 10 minutes of that, sorry, your claim can't be filed. And I didn't even talk to a person. And so it's like, we're going to repeat the process and I'm going to press zero. Give me an operator. And finally, I got to talk to somebody for them to say, hold on, we're going to go talk to somebody about that. And it was like, oh my goodness, like that is what totally burned me on really ever returning a product. I will just use whatever I get from now on, it seems. But what if that's how it was with God? What if it was I had something that I had to talk to God about? And it, you, you like say there was a hotline to God. And you call it up and it's like press one to talk to him now. Press two to file a complaint. Press three to make a request. And then you did and they're like, please hold. He's pretty busy. He'll get to you in the next decade. Like there's seven billion people on earth. Like you're not that important. He's got like rulers and leaders and wars and famines to deal with. So, I mean, imagine if that's how it was with God. And it never really was to that extreme. But there was a time where that was kind of the concept. Where it was, hey, I need to go talk to God, but because of my sin, I cannot be in direct relationship with God. And so God appointed what we call priests to be the go-between from the people to God. And we see kind of the roles of a priest in Hebrews chapter 5, where it says, Every high priest is chosen from among men and appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. They were that go between to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant. This is talking about the high priest and the wayward because he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And then Hebrews 9 verse 2 says, A tent was prepared. There was the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. But behind a second curtain... There was this place called the most holy place. And then jumping the verse seven, it says into the second, only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And so we see that these priests, what they would do is they would offer gifts. They would offer sacrifices. But once a year, the high priest went into the holy of holies, the most holy place. Because that was where God literally dwelled. And he would go in with bells around him and a rope tied to him. Because if he was found to not be worthy of being in there, he could drop dead in a heartbeat. And then the next person that would come in would also drop dead because it is that holy of a place. And so they would drag him out instead of going in. And it's like not everybody, really, just one person, one time a year, could go into the direct presence of God. That was the role of the high priest specifically. 
And then the other priests performed all these religious ceremonies on behalf of the people. But what we're going to see today, as the writer of Hebrews is showing us, is that Jesus is a far better go-between. That he is far better than the priest. And so we've already prayed, but if you'll stand as we read our passage this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to jump a couple chapters and then we'll come back and cover it. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 22. It says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. You see, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." Thank you. You may be seated. And so what we're going to look through this is how Jesus is a better high priest. And we're going to see three things through this. One, how Jesus offers a better sacrifice, how Jesus offers better access, and then ultimately how Jesus offers better salvation. And so one of the key roles of the priest was to offer those sacrifices, I mean, if you really ever get bored and you're looking for some good reading material to fall asleep to, Leviticus. Very inspired book by God, important to read, but it is not invigorating. It's just not super exciting, but it's important. And through the first seven or so chapters, it shows us the different offerings. You have the grain offering. You have the peace offering. You have the offering for unintentional sins. You have all these offerings. And it shows you the process that you had to go through, that the priest had to go through. You take the best of your product and you take it and you offer it to God. And then you get going and you see that there's also one day called the Day of Atonement. And that's where it's talking about the high priest would go beyond the second curtain and offer a sacrifice to make amends or reparations for the sin of mankind. Because you see, ever since the beginning, ever since the first sin was ever committed, sacrifice has had to be made to cover for the sins of mankind. It proves right there, Genesis chapter 3, we could never on our own make amends for our sins. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 shows us that as Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they hid because their sin exposed them. They were naked and before they were unashamed, but now they realize we are exposed before God. We have to hide. So they tried hiding and they could not cover themselves with anything. And so then we see in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of what? Garments of skin, not fig leaves, not plants, not something they did for themselves. The Lord God made for them garments of skin and he clothed them right there foreshadowing 
It's nothing we can do. We cannot cover our own sins. We can try, but it's only what God can do. And right there, he offers a sacrifice. And then in verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 9, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so God commanded his people to offer sacrifices to try and cover their blood, cover their sin. But you see, there's a problem. These sacrifices weren't perfect. Man could not cover their own. Even the high priest offering these sacrifices was not perfect. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 3 tells us this, that he is obligated, being the high priest, to offer sacrifices for himself just as he does for those of the people. And then in verse 27, it says that Jesus has no need, like the high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. Because the high priests were still not perfect. And so their sacrifices were not perfect. And even that garment of skin that God covered Adam and Eve with, even the sacrifices that Abraham had to offer and that Moses had to offer and the high priest had to offer, all of that was a foreshadow showing us Jesus is something better. So much better. Verse, 20, or verse 17 of Colossians chapter 2, he said that these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the ultimate reality of it all is Jesus. They all belong to Christ. He is the fulfillment of them because Jesus is a better priest. And we're going to cover on how he offers better sacrifices whenever we get to Hebrews chapter 9 and ultimately how he is a better sacrifice. But what we're going to see today and focus on today real quick is just how it's finished. When Jesus came to give his life, when he was hanging on that cross, he said those three words, it is finished. Which means no longer do you have to go and offer a sacrifice. No longer do you have to go and find a priest and be like, hey, here is my best cow, I'm going to offer it. And they go through the bloody process of that. Because in Hebrews verse 27 of chapter 7, it said, He has no need like those who offer sacrifices daily, first for their sins and then for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He came and lived a perfect life to die the perfect death as the perfect sacrifice so that we can be accepted. So that we can go to God now. And you see the reason that he is a better priest is not because he offers sacrifices, but because he offered himself. He is that sacrifice. Perfect and holy. Hebrews 9.13-14 through 14 tells us, If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to serve God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, the sacrifice that the priests offered were ceremonial. The sacrifice that Jesus offers covers us inside. Jeremiah chapter 31 is where God talks to his people and says, I'm going to instill a new covenant within you, where I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. 
because of the sacrifice that Jesus offered. And it saves us eternally. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us this. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's the only way you're going to find redemption, through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus, as he's instilling the Lord's Supper, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. It is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus, he is far better than the high priest in that he offers a far better sacrifice. He offered himself for us. The priest never offered their own lives. Jesus offered his life for us, for sinners, for for what excuse me, Romans tells us enemies of God. And through that sacrifice, this is probably my favorite part of this message. Through the sacrifice that Jesus offered, he now gives us better access. You see, in the Old Testament time, in order to really have that communication with God, you had to go through a priest. Imagine that in a day without technology, trying to, let's just say I'm playing the role of the priest, trying to find me and track me down and be like, hey, can you go to God on behalf of me? Can you go to God and like just try and make sure he and I are good? I mean, too often we do that with other people. It's like, I feel like John Bo is not happy with me. So I'm going to go talk to Jimmy Dean, the sausage guy, and see if he'll make things right with me. And it's like, no, just go straight to the person. Imagine if you had to do that with God. Where it was like, hey, again, back to the operator. Can you see if I can get a return on this? And then they're like, hold on, we're going to go talk to them and we'll let you know what the response is. And that's how it was that we had to go through this person. But because of what Jesus did, we no longer have to go through anybody other than Jesus himself. Like right here, right now, this afternoon, this week, wherever you are, you can stop what you're doing, make your request known to God, and he hears you. Because you have direct access to God. Something, honestly, we take for granted far too often. But we can go directly to him knowing that he hears us. We have Jesus. Listen to this verbiage in... Ephesians 2, 13 through 21. It's kind of lengthy, but hang in here. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you were distant from God. So this is not even talking to Jews. So like the whole construct of being able to go be with God is you had your Holy of Holies, which is where God resided, which is where the high priest went once a year. Then you had your holy places where the priests were able to go. And then you had your outer courts where the Jews were able to go. And then you even had places beyond that where women and Gentiles, that's us, were able to go. We weren't even able to get all the way in there. We had to hang out outside. We were, as Ephesians tells us, far off. But now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He's made us both Jew, Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two 
So making peace. And he might reconcile, make things right, both of us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those, the Jews, who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. We can go to God the Father. So then, I love this part, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I love the way Paul says that. You were far off. I mean, you were not able to come to God. You were like all the way beyond the outer courts, not able to have access to God. But because of what Jesus did going through his blood, you can go directly to God. I mean, so much so that he sends his Holy Spirit to live within you. That's how close you can get to God. That he is knowing your intimate thoughts. He is knowing the things about you that you hope nobody in this world ever finds out. And he knows about it. He knew about it before you were born. And yet he still said, I want to get close to them. I want them to have direct access to me. Because we can have direct access to God. Ephesians 3, 9 through 12 tells us this, that God had this all planned. It was according to the eternal purpose, this is verse 11, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, and then verse 12 tells us, so we have boldness and we have access with confidence to go to God with our faith in him. You know, we talked about it whenever we were in our Lord's Prayer session about Oliver Twist coming up to God, or not coming up to God, but coming up to the headmaster and just being like really timid, really scared. Please, sir, may I have some more? I don't know if you're going to abuse me, beat me, throw me out. I don't know, but I got to come ask for more. Whereas we are told there, we have boldness. And we have access to confidently come to God. Meaning that when you make your request known to God, he hears them. He's not too busy with 7 billion other people on this planet. He cares about what you have to ask, what you have to say to him. He cares about you, that you can confidently go to him. And it's because Jesus is the better sacrifice. Because when Jesus said those words, it is finished. In Mark chapter 15, verse 37, it tells us that when he uttered those words, And he breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And this is not like a piece of paper thin curtain. This thing is like a foot thick. And it is torn like a piece of paper in two. But notice where it's torn. From top to the bottom. It wasn't man making this right with God going from earth to heaven, but it was torn from top. God making it possible for us to come to him. Through the sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 tells us this. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he lives to make intercession for them. He can save us because he is the one that broke down the dividing wall of hostility. 
He makes intercession for us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 5 through 6 tells us there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man. It's not priests, it's not the Virgin Mary, it's not me, it's not your parents. It's one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You know, that word intercession means that Jesus is there. And when God looks at us, he's looking through Jesus because Jesus is the one that is kind of our defense lawyer. He's making those amends for us. He's the one talking to God. So that when you're ever asked that question on a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you're getting to heaven? It should be a 10 because you're going through Jesus. Because then whenever you're asked why, you say because Jesus is who's interceding for me. It's not because of anything I've done. It's all because of what Jesus has done, and therefore I can confidently access the throne of grace. He's making an appeal on our behalf. Romans 8.34 tells us this. It says, Who is there to condemn? Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, and he's at the right hand of God the Father, and he is interceding for us. You want to know who's trying to condemn? Yourself? Satan? The world? I mean, man, we love to do that. We love to look at people and be like, yeah, they're cool, but did you know about this? We love to define people by their sins. Oh, they're just an adulterer. They're just a murderer. They're just a thief, a liar, a cheat. You can't trust them because of these things. Whereas we love to try and condemn And honestly, a lot of times we think God's even the one trying to condemn us. But right there it says, who is there to condemn? This week when you had that thought, when you looked at that image maybe, when you you did that deed, whatever it is, who is there to condemn you? I mean, man, Satan is trying. But it says Jesus died for you. Not only did he die, more than that, he was raised from the dead and he is interceding on your behalf. I mean, Satan, he's called the great accuser. Revelation 12 says, I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accused them day and night before our God. Satan is up there in the presence of God. He's able to get there. He can't totally be there, but he can, as we're told in Job, he can approach God. And he's up there trying to accuse you. Hey, you know that Andy? He's just a rage man. Like he has no control over his temper. I mean, if you knew God, do you really know the thoughts that he has? Because if you truly entered that brain of his, it's scary. And it's like, man, he's up there accusing, trying to like bring this defense against us before God. And the way I envision it is that Jesus is up there and he's like, hold up, just Satan, shut it. That's my son. He is covered in my blood. I don't see any of that stuff. I see my love poured out for him. I see the fact that he received me and accepted me and that's all he did. He placed his faith in me. I love him. Don't you dare bring an accusation against him. You want to know who can? I can. I'm Jesus. I died for him. But yet I died for him. And I'm not going to accuse him. 
I mean, Jesus does not condemn us. And because of that, we can go confidently to God. And you see, Satan, he knows the Bible. I mean, we see whenever he's tempting Jesus, he's throwing scripture out towards Jesus. He knows the Bible and he's, he's trying to bring those. I mean, just, just think, I don't even want to think about it, really, how many laws I might have broken. But there are 600 plus Old Testament laws. I can't keep 10 of them. I can't keep one of them. I make an idol out of things every day. And so it's like out of those 600 laws, Satan is up there saying, he broke this one, he broke this one, he broke this one, and God is saying, no, they don't. I mean, reality, yes, they do deserve hell. They do deserve punishment. They do deserve death. But I gave them a way out. Because lastly, we're going to close with this, Jesus offers a better salvation. You see, through the priests, salvation, it's, it's really like messy, but salvation was offered through the law, knowing nobody could achieve it. It's like if you really want to break it down, you have two options to be saved. Live a perfect life or find Jesus. Nobody's ever living a perfect life. The law is there to show us that we cannot earn salvation on our, on our own. And Jesus came to offer us a far better salvation. Romans 8, 1 through 4, it was read during our meditation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He said, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. He fulfilled it. And notice that therefore the requirement of salvation is imputed. It is put on us. We are now considered righteous before God. Again, because salvation comes not through our own efforts, but through Jesus. It's no longer based on what you do, how hard you strive. It is solely based on the work of Jesus. Imagine if you went to lunch this afternoon and you're sitting there and then when you get ready to pay your bill, some, the, the waitress comes up and says, your, your bill's been paid. Now, what are you going to do? No, no, let me pay. Let, let me give you the money for my bill. I cannot accept that. I'm not, I have to pay for it. She'd be like, no, it's covered. Your bill is paid. And that's what Jesus did. He paid our bill. And so only crazy people think, no, no, I have to pay it back. Let me keep working for it. It's like, no, how do you receive that your bill at lunch has been paid? You live gratefully out of it. You accept that. You receive it. And then you live life as if that is true. And you no longer strive for it. Our bill has been paid. We no longer have to strive to pay for it. Instead, we walk in the grace God has given us. Because, you see, Jesus offers us salvation, and it is the only salvation. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he, being Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost, like ultimately, 
those who draw near to God through him. I mean, I, I love the way that word uttermost is there because it makes me think of like the people that come before God and they're like, yeah, but. But God, you don't know what I did. You don't know what my past is. You don't know what my thought is. You don't know what my struggles are. Yeah, but God, you, you're, you, maybe you're saving me a little bit, but not all the way. And it's like Hebrews says, no. He saves to the uttermost, like completely, regardless of what your sins are. He saved you. He offers salvation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 tells us he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, therefore securing an eternal redemption. 2 Timothy 1.9, he saved us and called us to a holy living, not because of works that we did, lost my place, not by works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then Romans 5, I love this verse. For while we were still weak, while we were still enemies of God, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Somebody might rare, scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, it's all because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it's because of that sacrifice that Jesus goes beyond the holy of holies. He goes into, beyond the curtain, into the holy of holies, making intercession for us. And the writer of Hebrews, he tells us how we respond. He opened up this passage by telling us how we respond in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So how do we respond to this, that Jesus is the great high priest, far better than priests? We confidently draw near to the throne of grace. Notice that word grace. Not the throne of condemnation. Not the throne of hatred. Not the throne of get out of my face, but the throne of grace confidently drawing near to the throne of grace because God delights to give us his grace. Mal, uh, Micah chapter 7 verse 18, it says that he delights in steadfast love. The King James Version tells us he delights in mercy. I mean, like he loves it. He's not just like, oh, 
I got to give them mercy. I have to forgive their sins. Dad, gum it. I am not happy about that. But instead, he is like, I get to forgive their sins. I get to give them my love. I get to give grace. I love, I mean, what parent Christmas morning is looking forward to giving their kid a rock? And yet that's how we view God. As if he's wanting to do that. But a good parent, Christmas morning is like, I am so excited to see what these kids are going to receive, to see the look on their face as they open these gifts, because they don't deserve them. They deserve coal, but we love them, and we're going to give them good things. God says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good things? So because of that, we confidently draw near to the throne of grace. So I I just want to take this closing song as Kurt is going to come up and lead us in this song. And I just want to have it be where even if you don't sing, if Kurt's the only one serenading us, that you are drawing near to God. Be it through song, be it through a time of prayer, be it through a time of confession, be it through a time of actually taking that step because you have never given your life over to Jesus and following through with that. Whatever... God is calling for you to do. He's calling each person differently. But whatever he's laying on your heart, as we sing this closing song, draw near to the throne of grace. And it says with confidence. Use this time to do that. Father God, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. That, that you delight in giving us mercy, love and grace. God, we're so undeserving, but yet you desire to be in relationship with us so much so that you tore the veil so that we can confidently come before you. And I pray that as we take this moment, that we set it it aside to do that, God, may we confidently come to you and let our hearts' desires be made known to you. But God, ultimately, may we desire you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.